For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford, and today I have a special treat. I have the first streetcast. I was in New York City in July for Thriller Fest, and I had the opportunity to interview Jason Starr, the author of many dark crime and noir suspense novels. His novels include The Follower, Panic Attack, Fake ID, and many others. And his brand new novel, which I just mentioned, Panic Attack, is in hardback now. And as I mentioned, this is our first street cast. Since I was in New York, and New York is such a central part of many of Jason's novels, I decided to interview him while walking the streets of New York. And if you're familiar with New York City, we were, we were walking up 42nd Street and ended up at the New York Public Library where we sat down and ended the interview. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my interview with Jason Starr. And again, his new novel, Panic Attack, is in stores now. Thanks. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. So I'm here in New York City, and this is the first reading and writing podcast, Streetcast. <laughs> I'm here with Jason Starr, the author of many crime and mystery novels, and we're actually going to do this interview on the streets of New York. And so uh, this should be an, a, an interesting experience. Um, so Jason, thanks for joining us. No problem. Anytime. Yeah. So. You have a new book coming out, uh, Panic Attack. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, Panic Attack is a uh, another thriller, standalone. Um, it takes place mainly in New York. It's about a uh, a break-in. Starts off with a break-in at a house in Forest Hills, uh, owned by a psychologist, uh, Adam Bloom, and he lives there with his wife and uh, daughter, recent college grad. And uh, Bloom, in, in defending his family, he he, uh, he winds up shooting one of the and, uh, intruders, and uh, the other one gets away, and um, wants revenge uh, for his uh, yeah his close friend who was who was killed. And then uh, it's a uh, you know a thriller where I get into everyone's point of view, and uh, there's a lot of satire in it, so. It was, a lot, it was a lot of fun to write. Cool, cool. And this is a this is a standalone, and it's following your most recent novel, which was The Follower, which was set in New York City and and concerned a stalker. Um, so if you haven't read The Follower, you should check that out. Um, I'm curious, what do you think? I think I just want to make sure this is recording. Yeah, it is. What do you think the appeal? of crime and noir fiction is for readers? Um, I think, you know, I think readers uh, like, you know, what I consider to be like a realistic 
uh, view of the world. Um, noir fiction is very honest. Uh, and crime fiction in general is, you know, there's a lot of, it's, it's very unpredictable as opposed to, uh, I guess what you would call mystery fiction or uh, mainstream uh, detective fiction where you just, where there's a, a safety zone where you, where you know the, the main character is going to be safe. Um, I think noir and crime stories are more unpredictable because the, uh, you know, no one's safe. And um, it's interesting to me, though, how uh, these types of stories in, um, on TV are, you know, extremely popular. Like, you know, like in the, on the, uh, you know, the ability to be edgy in your work uh, is something that's much more mainstream, I think. In, on television, uh, in comics, uh, in in mystery fiction, it's uh, you know I think it's a little harder to be that provocative. Great. Um, and speaking of comics, don't you have a comic series that's either out now or going to well, be published? I have a, uh, a graphic novel that's coming okay. out in uh, January from DC Comics called The Chill. It's uh, Vertigo Crime. It's a new crime line they're starting and. Um, the first one is uh, Ian Rankin is writing the first one, and then Brian Azzarello uh, is doing the second, and then mine comes out. And uh, the art is by a Italian artist, Mick Bertolorenzi, very talented artist. And it, this was a lot of fun to write. Um, again, like I was saying before, it's uh, yeah, I, I feel like in, in comics I could just take so much more, so many more risks. Uh, in my writing that I think it's just getting harder and harder to do in mainstream um, mystery fiction. Um, you could take more risks with language, um, violence. Um, like, again, like a lot of stuff that I think has become mainstream on, particularly on cable uh, television. And you know, the, the most popular, most talked about shows are very edgy. Sure. Uh, Sopranos. Sopranos, Dexter. Sure. Uh, even to some extent, something like Sex in the City. Right. Very provocative. Uh, I don't think you could... I don't think you could do stuff like that in mainstream, uh, you know, crime fiction. I don't, I don't think that works the way it would uh, 15, 20 years ago. And, and do you think that's something in terms of... Uh, for the lack of a better word, taboos among publishers yeah, or readers? You know, I think it's a combination. I think it's the, uh, it's kind of how the economics, I think, of the book business has evolved. Uh, you know, the um, way books are distributed, uh, uh, you know, uh, the books that get pushed by the uh, chains and uh, Walmart. Costco type places, right? Um, you know, they're not going to be the uh, edgiest, right? Uh, right. It's not going to be the edgiest side of the genre. Um, I think a lot of the books that are currently uh, winning awards and are the, and, and the, a lot of critically acclaimed books of mystery fiction uh, are finding a hard time getting a real mass audience, right? In, 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 uh, and I think. You know, to, I, and I, I think publishers to have to figure out a way. I think, I think publishers have to figure out a way of, uh, of, of making these books more uh, 
the story is more marketable. Like I said, I think there is uh, an audience for them because sure. I mean, you just see the audience in other media. Right, right. Um, that, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. Because yeah. you're right. I mean, in terms of the Sopranos. And, yeah, I mean, a publisher could say like, "Oh no, this is so dark, dark and edgy. Um, you know, it's never going to sell. You know, people don't want that." I, I disagree. I think yeah. I think that's actually what people want. I think people want to be challenged, and um, I don't think they know that a lot of the stuff exists. <laughs> you know, interesting. They, yeah, they don't see it. So, when you were first starting uh, your your path to publication, so to speak, uh, I've I've read in other interviews that you were pretty relentless in terms of submitting your work to agents. I wonder if you could just talk about that and kind of your your. Uh, what your experience was in getting published initially with your first novel? Well, I was a uh, telemarketer before I got published. Um, worked at a lot of... Actually, right now, we're walking by the uh, New York Public Library where I did a lot of my <laughs> writing before I got published. Uh, wrote a few unpublished manuscripts <laughs> at this library. Um, sitting at the library? Sitting at the library. Well, I would work part-time. Uh, so, you know, so telemarketing was a perfect job, but I also worked in... Uh, you just want to sit down and we can just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I worked in um, magazines, uh, uh, publishing. Uh, ironically, worked for St. Martin's Press, my current <laughs> <laughs> The only job I was ever fired from, actually. Uh, fired for reading and writing on the job. On the job. On the job. So is that on your book jacket? <laughs> well, hopefully it wasn't foreboding. Yeah, yeah. But, but, um, yeah, but, but telemarketing was really the perfect training ground, I think, for, for a writer, because you, you, you reject it so much. And, uh, you know, that's something you have to deal with as a writer at every level. Um, whether you're just starting out, sending out manuscripts, or you're a published author. Uh, pitching ideas, and you know, you're, you're constantly rejected. Um, you know, you're constantly getting bad reviews or good reviews, but you have to deal with the ups and the downs. And I think uh, for me, you know, t t telemarketing was a good, was good preparation for that. And um, when I was sending out my first book, Cold Caller, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, which, I, which I've read, highly recommended. Thank you. Uh, I got, you know, I got a lot of rejections. I have a big stack of. Uh, Projections. I know Stephen King talks about all the big stack that he has, right. but I'm sure mine rivals that. Wow. And, um, so do you still have it? I do. I do have all the rejections, <laughs> and I hold grudges. So anybody rejected it? <laughs> um, so then I, just on a chance, I sent the uh, manuscript to a UK publisher, the Alexa Press, and um, got there in a very roundabout way. Uh, another reader for another publishing house championed it. Had no exit, um, and they bought it, and they they bought world rights, and then they wound up selling my books back to uh, the United States and, and a number of other foreign countries. Some of those are still my publisher right now. Um, and what, what was your first novel published in the U.S.? It was published a year later. So oh, okay, this was '97. Okay. I did the U.K. deal '98. It came out here, um, and then I got an agent and started doing things more normally. Right, right. You know, for my for my third book. Um, but it was really a matter of uh, being relentless as far as getting published because sure. you know there was it was very easy to get discouraged. Um, one reason I really didn't get discouraged is I felt my manuscript wasn't being wasn't read. Right. Um, when it just didn't make it through the wall. Yeah, basically. I mean you could tell when you're starting when you get a lot of form letters. Yeah, back sure, and, sure. You know, no one's really reading it. Yeah. 
the book. It's uh, a hurdle. I used to work at a literary agency, so I know from the other side. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, if you start, you know, if I started seeing a lot of rejections um, and they were specific, and I, you know, I probably would have gone on to another book. But, Sure, done something different, but I knew that I knew the book really wasn't getting read. So, and I, you know, it was just like a stubbornness on my part. But you know, I remember every day I said, "Okay, I'm going to send out five letters a day, <laughs> like every single day, no matter what." I'm going. This was, you know, the internet was just starting out. Sure, sure. Mid to late '90s, so I was sending out by snail mail five, five to ten letters a day, and uh, yeah, five to ten letters a day, and uh, you know, eventually I started to get some. Some nibbles, you know, and I think, you know, I think good work will ultimately uh, be discovered. Sure. I don't think there's a lot of uh, undiscovered, undiscovered gems <laughs> yeah. out there. Sure. Um, but then again, you know, it's really, um, I think it's a combination of uh, talent, luck, uh, and perseverance. You know, and um, if you have a lot of luck uh, and perseverance, that can even overwhelm talent. Right. You know, those are probably even more important. Sure. Um, you mentioned you were working on some some novels here that you're writing novels at the public library. Yep. Were you doing that on a laptop and handwriting? Uh, I was writing by hand then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a big uh, wow. Hemingway was one of my uh, early influences, and I, uh, I read that he used to write by hand. So <laughs> what what's the writing process like for you? Do you sit down with with a um, with an idea, do you, do you outline beforehand? Do you just kind of see where the, the story idea takes you? What's your... Um, I have what you, what I like to think of as an evolving outline. I do outline everything. You know, I don't, uh, you know, for me, plot always comes first. Even before character. I think of it almost as a the way you would pitch a movie. That's why I to kind of think of the story in my head. Uh, clear action with the whole the entire book um, and then I'll and then I'll sit down I'll plot it out major plot points it's kind of just like a very loosely written paragraph or and then it, I'll kind of go longer with it sometimes I'll go up to like five ten pages um, and then I'll start writing I'll, very early on I'll just start writing that first sentence the first paragraph uh, get a sense support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big money now on new siding from LP SmartSide at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. 
It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. First chapter is I already have an idea of what the end is in my head. Before you start writing. Yeah, before I start. And then as I'm going each day, I'll always outline as I go along. So I'll sure. have new ideas. Sometimes the entire book will change. Right. But I always want to have a sense of what the ending is. Because right. I'm afraid I'll get stuck yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Otherwise. And I like to know, I kind of think of it as a maze where like I'm at the, there's a beginning and there's an end. And it's just a matter of figuring out how to get there. Sure. And in my head it makes me feel like I'm eventually gonna get it done. Like here's the ending, here's the beginning. I'm just filling it in the middle. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> and uh, it kind of simplifies the whole thing in my head. Because I think when I first started writing, and I was writing short stories, plays, um, the idea of doing a novel seemed kind of overwhelming. How am I going to write this long book? And the key for me, I think, was simplifying it, um, making it to something that I knew I could uh, complete. Sure. And you mentioned uh, plays and short stories when you started. What was it that initially got you interested in writing? Was it just something that you've always been interested in? Was there a specific moment or, or event that, that got you interested? Um, well, I started writing in college, and I was writing uh, short stories at the time. Um, I wasn't really exposed to any uh, crime fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and where were you going the, to college? Well, the books that were... Binghamton. Okay, right, yep. Uh, the books that were signed to me in high school were all the literary sure. classics, and then... In college, I got very into, uh, it was the, you know, mid to late 80s, so I got into, uh, you know, Raymond Carver. Sure, sure. Uh, it was very popular then, and a big influence because of you know, his very simple style. Right. Really. Yeah. And um, I didn't really know that much about, I mean, the only real fine picture I've read previously was, um, I mean, you can't even call, like, uh, Agatha Christie, it's more like a crime fiction, it's more like mystery fiction. Sure. I read a lot of um, Mickey Splane when I was in high school. But yeah, I wasn't really widely exposed to crime fiction. And um, I remember a friend who suggested I read Jim Thompson mm-hmm. after college. Uh, really loved his stuff. Uh, so that led me to like people like Pan and Curtis and Sure. But then I started reading a lot of more modern writers at the time, like Homer Leonard. Right, right. Um, sort of Higgins. And uh, it, it kind of took a while, though, to realize that that's, you know, I, I knew I enjoyed reading all this stuff. Sure. But I was writing, I was still kind of writing in this kind of pseudo-literary way. Right. Because uh, right. I kind of felt, you know, after being in college, creative writing classes, I kind of felt like that's the way you're supposed to write. But then I, uh, I, kind of, I guess I kind of had a moment where I, just, where I realized I should really be writing kind of stuff that I like to read. Right. Um, and at the time, I was reading more, uh, you know, a lot of literary stuff, you know, Dostoevsky and Camus. Sure, like sure. That. And, um, you know, so I knew I wanted to write crime fiction that was also psychological. Sure. Um, satirical. Um, so you've written a couple of books in collaboration with Kim, how do you pronounce his last Bruin. name? Bruin. Bruin, yep. And I wonder what that collaboration process is like for you. Um, do you trade chapters or um, well, write we, chunks of the book and then trade off or what, what's the story? Well, we've written um, three books so, uh, so far together, uh, all with hard case crime, uh, 
bust slide and the maps. And bust was the first one. We both wanted to do um, books for hard case because we, you know, we loved what they were doing. Sure. Uh, this combination of printing, uh, reprinting um, old pulp fiction, right, you know, right. like David Goodis and um, Charles Williams. Charles Williams, yeah. Yeah, touch of death. Um, and but we were writing at the time. I was still with Vintage, and he was the St. Martin's kid. And uh, it kind of seemed like if we did a book for Hard Case independently, it would kind of compete with our other right. books. Um, so we came up with the kind of nutty idea that <laughs> we would co-write <laughs> a book. And Charles R. Dye, who's the publisher of uh, Hard Case, went along with it. Um, we gave him a chapter, and he gave us a contract. Um, That's always nice. Yeah, yeah, but the way we did it is, um, it was it was loosely based on a book I had written but hadn't published. Right, right. Um, there were some problems with it. Yeah. Um, like we could never really fix. And I, yeah, and I kind of had the idea like, well, what if we make this other character Irish? And Ken thought it was a great idea. Um, but we still had to get the voice down. Uh, to how we're going to do this because it was basically rewriting that entire book we, we loosely kept the plot but right, and, right. And the main characters like Max and Angela but we changed a lot um, so he took a crack at writing the first chapter uh, and then I, then I wrote part of it and I said Ken if we continue doing it like this it's going to seem like two different people wrote it because like our styles are totally different so I said well, we could do something like this and I wrote it and I kind of like so did my take on what he had written. And then he kind of did his take on what I had written by going back and forth a few times on it. Like I kind of lent my style toward his and he lent it toward right, mine. Right. And we got to the point where we could just both write sections and it, and it almost seemed like... In that kind of yeah, it almost seemed complimentary like, style. Yeah, it almost seemed like one person was writing. I mean, I would always go over and... Sure, sure. Smooth it over. Ken's more of like a one draft right. <laughs> type guy, as I'll freely admit. Yeah. Um, and so, so are you working on uh, any other projects with him right now? Um, we're, we're talking about doing a fourth book, I don't know. Sure. When we're going to get to it, though. Any other but I have collaborations? In my head. I have the whole Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> any other collaborations? Um, you, know, you know, I've never. Um, I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine collaborating with anybody else. I mean, uh, I think it was a unique experience. I think you see most writing teams are usually, um, usually, are like a mother-daughter. Sure. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, uh, sis, brother, sis, sis, right. two sisters. Two like sisters. Parents. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, but, you know, uh, co-writing usually, you know, it's, it's really it's hard to blend that voice. And I think you, it could be, you know, a lot of people think they could do it and then there are conflicts. Right. Um, we really didn't have very many conflicts. I think we both had the same vision for the books. Um, you know, if, when you read them, you'll see that it's uh, not really like our the, the books we write independently. Very, sure, sure. Uh, there's a lot of dark comedy, tongue-in-cheek type stuff. Um, so we had a lot of fun doing it. And I think that was the key. Like, we just, it was really enjoyable. It was a good break right. from, from what we were doing. And... Um, I don't know if I could find that uh, type of connection. Right. So, given where you're at in terms of your publishing and your writing career, what kind of advice would you have for aspiring writers and people who would like to be published? Well, I would continue to, you know, I would write what you want to write. Um, 
when and I'm sorry, write what you want to read. What you, yeah. uh, we'll redo okay. that. Yeah. <laughs> My advice would be to write the types of books you like to read, um, and to be relentless. To uh, you know, when you, when you have a manuscript, show it to people you trust. Um, if you start hearing similar criticism from multiple people, take it seriously. If one person has a criticism, don't take it seriously. Just discount totally, it. Yeah, just totally ignore <laughs> it. Uh, you know, because it's meaningless. Um, sure, sure. You know, you, even when you get published, you can have one. Look at any bestseller's books uh, or any acclaimed literary writer. Uh, look at their reviews on Amazon. Uh, you know, twenty percent of them are going to be horrible. Right, reviews. right. You're, you're never going to please everybody. Sure. But you want to make sure you're pleasing about 75% of people. <laughs> so, you know. So that's the key. Yeah, yeah. So if you hear it from everybody, you know, yeah. you know the book has a problem. Sure. And, um, and uh, stick with it. I mean, I think, it, anybody, I think anybody who really has a passion to do this is going to be, uh, and it, and it's going to be successful. Right, uh, right. Talent's important, but I think passion is even more important. Sure. Um, there's been a lot of news coverage about uh, the popularity or, or um, supposed popularity of, of Amazon's Kindle and the rise in ebooks and where book publishing is headed. I wonder if you give, ever give much thought to that and where you think book publishing is headed in terms of ebooks, digital media, etc. Well, I think about that all the time, and I, um, a lot of writers. Uh, seem concerned about it. Even here at Thriller Fest, uh, it's a big topic sure. at, at, around the bar. Um, I think, uh, you know, I personally think that the industry is moving rapidly toward, toward an ebook. Um, we, we see borders in significant trouble right now. Uh, Walden Books just closed. Um, and the Kindle <clears throat> is becoming more and more popular. Sure. Um, and I just saw recent projections where Kindle sales are going to go up exponentially and Kindle downloads over the next uh, few years. And, you know, I, I ultimately see uh, a publishing landscape where you're going to have Kindle, other ebooks. I'm sure, I'm sure Barnes & Noble is going to come up with some sure. rival to it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and independence. And I think there'll be a, the independence will have a uh, resurgence some extent because I think the, uh, the book market is going to become more specialized sure. and people are going to want to buy uh, books as gifts and it's going to become more of a, uh, a special item but I think the majority of, of reading is going to be done over the Kindle. I think, okay. I think the majority of reading is going to be done over the Kindle. I think, that's, uh, I think young people adapt to it. My daughter uh, you know, it, it loves reading on it. It just comes very natural to her. You know, right. You could switch off from her Nintendo to Kindle, and it's just very, <laughs> it's just very natural to hold an sure. electronic uh, device. And um, and I think to some extent it's going to, uh, as an author, I think it's going to empower us to some degree because I think the issue of distribution is not going to be as um, vital, and it's not it's not as out of control. Um, for example, now people who are uh, listening to this uh, podcast um, might run out to their local chain in, in Middle America and um, look for the new book by Jason Starr or the new book by Ken Bruin, and they might not see it there. Um, 
if everyone, if a majority of the book buying is done by Kindle, uh, you know, everyone will be able to just, who's well, interested in our books now, will be able to just go download and instantly. Yeah. So, uh, publicity like this would have a lot more value. Yeah, I love how you put that. To a author who doesn't have the uh, uh, the distribution of sure. um, a top ten, a current top ten bestseller. Right. Great. Well, that's all the questions that I had. You mentioned, well, I mentioned earlier you have Panic Attack coming out. Is that in August? Yep, Panic Attack is on sale August, first, oh, August 4th. I'm sorry. August 4th. Yep, uh, same one. It's a hardcover. Um, my graphic novel, The Chill, is out in uh, January. Um, Fake ID is out right now from uh, Hard Case. Hard Case Crime. Anything else in the works? Um, I'm actually working on a. Uh, a couple of different uh, projects. I'm not sure which one's going to be the next one. I'm working on another thriller. I'm working on something else that's completely different. And um, uh, we'll take it from there. I've looked at a couple of um, TV projects. One of my books is in development as a TV show. I'm excited about that. Wow, that's great. So, which book? Uh, the Follower. Oh, right. Yeah. So check in at. Uh, for updates on that on my website. Yeah, sure. And, and your website is? Uh, www.jasonstar. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my latest interview. If you would like to leave me some feedback or have a comment on the show, I would love to get your voicemail. You can leave me a voicemail at 206-888-2731. Again, that's 206-888-2731. Also, if you enjoyed listening to this interview, you can subscribe to the feed for the podcast in iTunes. And if you really enjoyed it, I would love for you to leave me a comment in iTunes so that other people can discover the podcast in the iTunes store. It's very simple. You go to the iTunes store and leave a, a review. Thanks again, and we'll be back in two weeks with another interview with a writer that you enjoy reading. This is Kevin J. Anderson, and whenever I'm not reading or writing, I enjoy listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.